words, and Lord, I recognize that as we have listened to these words read, uh, that we do come from all kinds of different places. Lord, some of us come in here and uh, tis the season for joy. Others of us come in here and tis the season for great grief. Lord, some of us are here this morning and we are eager to have our faith strengthened and deepened, and others of us are here and we have no faith at all. Lord, I pray that whatever place we find ourselves in today, whether we are here uh, in joy or in sorrow, whether we are here uh, thriving physically or whether we are here bearing a weight of suffering in our bodies, whether we are here uh, in faith in you, uh, eager for more, or whether we are here with no faith at all, I pray, O oh God, that you would give us grace to see that in the way that matters the most, that we all ultimately come the same with an overwhelming and an unrelenting need to hear from you, to know you, and to be changed by you. Would you open our eyes and give us grace to see how you are at work this day in our lives, in the person and work of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome. Great to be with you today. Uh, we have been in a sermon series on the book of Revelation that is becoming increasingly intense. Um, I don't know if you felt that, but I wasn't even here last week. I was traveling, and having been traveling, you know, I could tell it was intense. One of the members of my family opened up his podcast app, and he says, you know, I have all these, these churches I podcast, and there's churches that are preaching about how to deal with your feelings and, you know, how to be a nice person, and then there's this, there's this monstrosity about the mother of prostitutes, and something's going on there. <laughs> And I said, yeah, I just imagine, you know, your average visitor to Phoenixville is going to be curious as to what's going on, right? And that's because we, we're gifted with a wonderful preacher who uh, does not shy away from these things, and we're also going through a book that is, uh, that is intense. So what I wanted to do this morning was I wanted to give you a little bit of a pastoral breather from the intensity of Revelation, right? I want to help you, help you guys... Um, have a little bit of breather for that, and I wanted to share with you a bit of an Advent meditation uh, that's been particularly poignant in my own heart, and one that I have a pastoral burden for uh, many of you as well. And, and what I've learned in the ministry is that when I start to see a, a pastoral theme in a handful of people, usually it's far more broad uh, than just those handful of people. So the question that this passage raises this morning uh, is a question that's particularly dear to my heart because, as you know, those of you who've been here for a while, I describe my pastoral calling and my mission as directly located in the increase of joy uh, in you all, right? If you've, if you've asked me to be your pastor, I, I'm very upfront about this, that, that I understand my role and my calling as to, uh, to preach and to shepherd in such a way that your joy in Christ deepens uh, as a result of our time together, our time under the scriptures, our time in worship, and our times of prayer together. And what I've noticed as a particular threat to the joy uh, that you might experience, both, and I've noticed this in my own life recently as well, there, there's one reality that has the ability to extinguish joy uh, in, in such a way that it overwhelms all the other risks that you might face, and that's when you feel as though God is not hearing you in your prayers, right? It's, it's when you ex go through a season where you feel like it's pointless to pray, 
right? And that's a really actually poignant theme for Advent because in Advent we have these, you know, these various themes we've been walking through of, you know, laboring. Laboring is in the context of waiting, right? We actually have a week of Advent called waiting. And, you know, as I was reflecting on it, I thought, you know, I was talking to someone recently who, who was no longer a Christian, and one of the things raised in that conversation was, you know, I've prayed and it hasn't done anything. God hasn't heard my prayers, right? And I want to just ask, uh, I want to ask you this morning, if, if you are in that place or you've been in that place, right, I've noticed that, that we all deal with that in different ways, right? Some of us are in a place where we feel like, God, you're not hearing my prayers, and we just distract ourselves away from it because to think about it's too painful. Others of us, right, we're in that place, and it simply results in us in a cessation of prayer, right? What's the point in praying anymore? And we're in a theological tradition where it's really easy if you're in this, what we call the Reformed tradition, which is where Ironworks is officially located. Reformed tradition is great. It's amazing. It's wonderful. Calvin, all that stuff, right? But there's one weakness that it has, right? And that's that I've noticed it's not terribly uncommon for folks who are in the Reformed tradition to end up becoming very fatalistic, right? There's no point in praying because whatever's going to happen is going to happen. God's going to do what he's going to do. I don't need to wrestle with him about that. And so there's a cessation of prayers, right? And I'll tell you that if you do that, number one, um, as we'll see in this passage, uh, you're contradicting the, the express will of God. And then secondly, you're actually giving up and extinguishing the joy uh, and the faith that could be yours. So that is my heart this morning. I want to talk to you, those of you who are in a place or perhaps have been in a place or perhaps will be in a place where you feel as though God is silent, right? I want to talk to those of you who feel like God is silent, and, and I recognize that there's no doubt a range as to where you are along that trajectory. Passage this morning uh, brings to us a group of folks who felt exactly that way, and that's the first thing that I want to bring to your attention. If you feel like God is silent, if you feel like it's pointless to pray, or if you've stopped praying, or if cynicism has overwhelmed you, Right? It's another great indicator, by the way, that you're on this journey is when cynicism begins to increase in your life and thinking and speaking and actions. Right? If you're in this place, you are in fellowship with a number of the psalm writers. Right? The psalms articulate, to a degree, uh, this feeling, not just once, but actually repeatedly. Uh, in fact, this passage... Um, indicates this expressly, for example, in verse 4. He says, how long, Lord God Almighty, implication, by the way, is that it's already too long. How long will your anger smolder against the prayers of your people? And the the prayer request that's repeated here uh, several times is that God would turn his face uh, toward them, that his face would shine. So that's my goal this morning, is I want to talk about Um, how we are to live in these seasons where it seems as though God is uh, not turning his face towards us or where prayers are going unanswered. And my hope, to be honest with you, is that this will protect you if you are entering this season. And if you've been in a season and you've not made it out on the other end, my, my hope is that this perhaps would be a bit of healing for you. So 
How are we to do that? Well, I'm going to make a couple of observations from the passage in hopes that those are helpful for you. The first thing that I want to notice that is a little, can go a little bit missed in this passage is this passage is not set out to be a lecture, right? This isn't given, you know, from a pulpit or from you know, a university, but this was given in the form of song, right? So I want you to envision growing up in northern Israel, it's under enemy captivity, You're watch, you've watched your childhood home burn in flames, you've watched your parents captured, right? All of your possessions are now the possessions of folks from another country, right? That's the devastation of captivity, and you're growing up singing this song. We don't know the tune for it, but we know that it was a song, the so- set to the tune of the lilies, he says, the lilies of the covenant. And you're growing up in the, you know, playing around this wreckage, right? Maybe, maybe you're hiding in the wreckage of what used to be your friend's home, and you're playing hide and seek, and you're trying to, you know, not get in trouble with the enemy soldiers. And when it comes time for dinner, your parents say, okay, we're going to sing this song. We're going to continue to cry out to God. And that's part of what I think this passage tells us is that, you know, the way that God's people have dealt with times that seem of great silence is they deal so with it persistently, right? So I've noticed, you know, in our context, I noticed in my own life uh, that when you pray for things, right, and I have certain prayer requests in my life that are now going on about 10 years, right, maybe a little bit longer. Some of you have a 10-year prayer. Anyone have a 10-year prayer, right? Thank you. I see that hand. Yeah, when you, when you get into like the 10-year prayer situation, right, you can be tempted to say, okay, now it's time to give up, right? And for these folks, these were multi-decade circumstances, right? These were multi-decade circumstances, and they would come to dinner and say, okay, kids, it's time for dinner. Let's gather around the family table, and now we're going to sing this song. And they, you know, however it would go, how long, oh God, will you turn your face away from me? That's what the kids would pray together. And that sounds a little shocking, doesn't it? Could you imagine going home tonight and saying, okay, for dinner, we're going to pray, how long, oh God, will you turn your face away? Did anyone do that recently? Probably. Sam? No? Seems like something you would do. (laughs) Okay, we'll see. There, There you have it. It's so extreme that not even... Sam has done this with his kids. Shocking. This is like scandalized here this morning, right? Yeah, but this is, this is what life would have been like for you growing up in this context, that your you know, dad would gather everyone around the, around the table and say, okay, let's sing. How long, oh God, will you turn your face away? When will you turn it back? When will you restore it? So that's the first thing that I want to bring up is that you know, as we're walking through seasons, if you're walking through a season of times where it feels like I'm in this multi-decade prayer request and, and I'm, I'm well past giving up, well, the first thing that the scripture says to us is, you know what? Go deeper in prayer. Make the prayer your song. Teach it to your children as they gather around the table. That's the first thing we notice is that uh, scripture really praises the idea of praying persistently. You know, Jesus will uh, say this explicitly, by the way, in the New Testament. He'll tell the parable of the unjust judge, right? Justice is a massive theme today, and, you know, folks are really dialed into these court cases, and everyone's 
you know, assessing these verdicts that are going on and everything. And Jesus is saying, well, unjust judges are a thing. And, you know, they will give verdicts that do not comport with justice. But however, he talks about a woman that keeps bringing her case over and over and over and over and over and over and over again to the judge. And he says, the judge won't act for justice because he wants to, but he will do it because he's simply annoyed. And the point of the parable is he says, be like that woman in prayer, right? Don't, don't give up, but be persistent. So Jesus is explicitly saying, when you feel like giving up, he says, be like the annoying woman, right? And this is the only time that you will told to be like this woman, you know, that you will told to be annoying, right? But that's what the Lord Jesus says. He says, if if an unjust judge who doesn't even care about justice, who has no regard for righteousness, if he has no interest in any of these things, if he will answer after this kind of persistence, then how much more will your heavenly Father answer uh, in these things, right? How much more will he do that? That's the first thing. Second question that comes up, by the way, uh, I, I looked at this passage with my Wednesday, what we call Wednesday men, just a group of us that get together for times in the scriptures and prayer together. A second question that came up is, someone said, was God not responding to the prayers of his people because they had sinned, right? That was the question that was raised uh, in relationship to this passage, right? And that is an important question, by the way, that I have asked in my own life and that uh, frankly, I think what we need to ask in our lives, sometimes we're praying, and, you know, it's interesting the discussion that happened in our group, right? I would ask you the question, is it possible that God is not hearing your prayers because you are currently holding on to sin? Is that possible? And we had a very lively debate in the group, right? What's the answer to that? Anyway, does anyone, you know, does God do that? And the answer is sometimes, right? Uh, from the scriptures, the answer is sometimes. So for example, in the book of Isaiah, which deals with a lot of the circumstances concerning what this psalm was likely set in, God actually says as much. Isaiah 115, he says, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Right, so God is explicitly saying, he's saying sometimes the silence that, that you feel is because you're holding on to sin, right? Now, I want to be quick to say that that's not always the case, and we'll see that confirmed later in the passage as well, right? And, and quite likely, if the people were penning this passage and praying in this way is a fairly good indication that they had actually turned to God, right, in some ways, that they were in the process of turning to God. But the question that is raised is sometimes, is God being silent to us because we are holding on to sin, because we are holding tightly to something uh, that, he, that he says is not for us? And I would tell you that if you're in that season, that is a very rich and hard and appropriate question to ask and to even seek feedback on from people that you trust, right? Am I holding on to something that God despises? Am I doing that, right? So, um, so that's where we were here, and that's where we were, and uh, that's where these folks were, and, and that question I thought was a good question to be raised. So that's the first thing, right? It's that 
You go deeper in prayer, like the prayer becomes your song, the prayer becomes your mealtime. The second thing we notice is that you do ask these questions of saying, God, are you turning away from me because I'm in sin, because I'm holding on to that? The third thing uh, is that you learn to pray, right? You learn to pray. And I love uh, how this passage does it, and this passage is uh, similar to uh, many others. If you look in verse 8, what the psalmist does is he says, God, you transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out nations and you planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took root and filled the land, right? And I don't know, we do have uh, someone who tends a vineyard in here, and I didn't get to ask him how hard it is to transplant a vine. Is that difficult or easy? It's hard? Yeah, to transplant a vine, to take a vine from one place and then to move it over to another and to you know, plant it into the ground so that it grows and thrives and prospers. That's not an easy task. And what is the psalmist doing? The psalmist is reminding God of the work that he uh, did in this people leading up to where they were. And he's basically saying to God, God, don't abandon your investment, right? You did all this work. You transplanted the vine. You made great care and it was successful. The vine grew and prospered. And now you are allowing it to be burned and destroyed and picked. We are the object of derision to our neighbors. What is he, what's he saying is, God, don't abandon your investment. You were faithful earlier in our lives. Don't abandon that investment. Right? And friends, I want to just put this before you as something that you can practice tonight in your prayers. Right? I, I was doing this the other day, and it was actually shocking, uh, the effect that it had. Take a moment and reflect on the past work of God in your lives and actually pray that to him. God, you did, you, you moved in me 10 years ago and you answered these prayers 10 years ago and you have, you have brought me this far and now I feel as though you are abandoning me, right? And by the way, I, I exhort you with all that I can to be absolutely honest with God right? If you feel it, I want you to be honest. God, I feel like you were abandoning me, for example. So the Psalms love to do this kind of arguing, right? What what they're doing is they're presenting a case to God, saying, God, you did this work in the past. It's, It's a bad investment to stop now, right? And that will do two things for you, by the way. The first is that God seems to love uh, this kind of prayer. Oh, there's a I was wondering what was burning. I thought, I thought someone was enjoying a substance outside. <laughs> anyway. Amen. All right. Um, that's great to know. I, was, I was, thought it was a little bit early for that, but you never know. If you, anyway. Yeah, so that'll do two things for you, right? If you, uh, if you pray in this way, it'll do two things for you. The first thing it will do is that God will delight in it. When you remind God of his path faithfulness, he takes deep delight in that. The Psalms uh, convey this repeatedly, overwhelmingly, right? God, let me remind you of your work. Let me argue for why it's in your interest to hear these prayers. So I would encourage you to first of all do that, right? I wonder if you've ever done that. Have you ever said, God, I believe it's in your interest to hear my prayer. Have you, have you ever prayed that? I I exhort you to pray that tonight. Try it. Give it a shot. Say, God, it is in your interest to move in this situation in this way. And if you have a hard time saying that, could it be 
that you're asking for something that may not be in God's will, right? Could be that you're, you're not seeing it yet, but, um, but I exhort you to pray in that way. It's how, how these, uh, this community was praying. They're saying, God, you, you started this work, and it doesn't make sense to abandon it now. You know, in the New Testament, we'll pick up on this theme in Philippians, for example. He will, uh, Paul will say to the Philippians, he'll say, I am convinced that he who began a good work in you will bring it about to completion, right? That look at the past faithfulness of God, and that shows us that God uh, is not going to give up on you. So that's the second thing, right? Learn to, uh, excuse me, the third thing, learn to pray, learn to go deeper in prayer in the arguments that you make, right? Now, uh, I did say this was an Advent meditation. What do I, what do I mean by that? Well, uh, what I want to draw your attention to is we consider, you know, Advent is a time of laboring. Uh, it's a time of working, but it's working while you wait, right? While you wait to see the fulfillment. And I love the story uh, of Simeon and Anna, right? You know, Simeon and Anna, they're spent, he's spending his whole life in prayer waiting for the consolation of Israel, eagerly waiting. And he finally lays his eyes on the Christ child and he says, now I can go in peace because I've seen the salvation of Israel. And I want to draw your attention to uh, verse 5, which is, so, um, which is so striking, and I don't want to let us move over it. Uh, look at what he says in verse 5. He says to God, you know, not only are you not hearing our prayers, but look at verse 5. You are feeding us with the bread of tears. You are making, you, you know, you made them drink tears by the bowlful Allow the vividness of that imagery to sit on you for a second, right? God, what the psalmist is saying is he's saying, not only are you not hearing our prayers, but it's like you are shoveling trials into our lives. It's like you're pumping them into our lives. That instead of eating, you know, delicious food, we are just drinking bowlful after bowlful after bowlful of tears, right? Another psalm will say that we, we soak our pillow in tears, right? That it's a season of intense suffering, it's a season where there is no consolation, where you don't wake up and everything's fine in the morning. It's just over and over and over and over and over again. And so they cry out all the more, God, will you, will you turn your face towards us? Will you make it shine upon us? Will you do a reviving work in our lives? He uses that language in verse 18. What is going on there, friends? What is going on there? And, and how are we to cope with that? Well, uh, the scripture, of course, will bear out. The psalmist didn't know this at the time. But this language of drinking tears by the bowlful, right? Where does, it, where, where does that seem to come up in the New Testament, right? Drinking tears by the bowlful. Well, the Lord Jesus, as he introduces this table, he will use this language. He will say, he will say to his disciples, are you able to drink the cup that I'm, that I'm going to drink? He will ask them this question. They will say, yeah, we want these positions. We want this influence. We want this power. And he will say, I have a question for you. Are you able to drink the cup that I have been assigned to drink? And they're like, of course we can. We, we eat with you all the time. You know, let's go. of course we can do that. I, have, I believe that they had no idea what they were saying. You see, Jesus Christ was speaking, I believe, of this passage. Are you able to drink tears by the bowlful? Are you able to take into yourself the full weight of judgment and wrath 
and the responsibility for bearing the sins of the world. You see, the Lord Jesus, that, it's interesting, this passage, again, you can see, you can imagine what it was like to be growing up as a child, and uh, in verse 17, it says, let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son of man you have raised up for yourself. In this passage, who is the son of man? Son of man is Israel in this passage. So you can imagine the children saying, one day Israel will be at your right hand, and one day your favor will be on Israel, and one day everything will be restored. But little did they know that God's hand would be on his own son, that his own son would be told to drink his tears, to drink the weight of all of our sin. As Isaiah says, surely he has borne our griefs, surely he has carried our sorrows, Surely he has become disfigured. Surely he has absorbed into himself the weight of all of the brokenness in the world, the weight of all of your nights that are consumed by anxiety, the weight of all of your unanswered prayers that you go and and mourn all the day, the weight that your cynicism is causing to others. As you deal with this situation, Jesus says, I will drink and absorb all of it and take all of it on myself. I will drink the bowl of tears for you so that you can have the unequivocal blessing of God. And friends, as we think about uh, being in these times of unanswered prayers, the will of God for you is that you would wrestle with the Lord, remembering his faithfulness, claiming his promises, and looking to the one who drank the bowlful on our behalf. And so, friends, as we, uh, conclu- as we walk through this Advent season, as we, as we ponder these things in our own lives, as we think about what are we going to do? Are we going to give up praying? Are we going to come cynical about the world and about God and about our families and about our lives? Are we going to become fatalists like many of us do in the Reformed tradition? Or are we going to be like this psalmist and teach our children to pray, how long, O oh God? We believe that you are faithful. We believe that you will hear us. We are going to pray and wrestle more intensely, and we are going to take time and consider, maybe I'm holding on to sin. Maybe that's what's going on. Maybe I'm not responding to the will of God in a way that he has been trying to get my attention with, and I've been just putting it off and putting it off and living my fatalistic life, and maybe he wants to have an awakening in me but we will wrestle. We will wrestle over 10 years or 20 years or 30 years or until we breathe our last. We will go deeper in prayer and deeper in faith. So I wanna invite you to do that this morning, especially those of you who've given up, right? I wanna invite you, if you don't know how to pray, just pray this Psalm this, this evening. Right, as you, as you are putting, you know, going down for the night or you are uh, having your evening meal, Just pray this psalm out loud. How long, O God, will your face be turned from me? We use that language when we talk about Jesus. We say the Father turns his face from him. And the psalm is pointing so explicitly to his absorption of the pain that you experience so that he can give you blessing. So I want you to not to give up. I want us to go to this table together. As we drink this cup together, let us remember the cup that he drank on our behalf. Let me pray for us. Father God, 
uh, we do worship you. And Holy Spirit, we do adore you. And Lord Jesus, you drank the cup that was too much for us. We cannot drink the cup that you drank, but we can drink a better one. And so I pray that we would do it in faith this morning. Lord, I pray that you would revive our hearts, that you would revive our souls, that you would give life to us spiritually. I pray for those who have given up praying that you would spark in them uh, a newness of life. Lord, I pray for those of us, those who are in sin this morning, those who are holding on to bitterness, those who are holding on uh, to a possession or a person or, or something that is displeasing to you. Lord, I pray that you would give us grace to see that, to turn from it, to repent, and to find an overabundance of new life. And Lord, most of all, I pray that we would have the presence of Christ this morning, that we would have his miracles, his power, his healing presence, that he would hear us as our shepherd as we pray it in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, would you please stand? This liturgy emphasizes it wants you to know that God is with you. So let's go through this together. Dear Ironworks Church, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Father, it is right to give you thanks and praise, for you sent your Son to do what we could not. You absorbed all of our grief, all of our brokenness. Surely you have carried our sorrows. And all that's left for us is to walk with you, to trust you, to praise you. And so we want to do that as we join our voices with the company of heaven and their unending hymn of praise. Let's sing together. God, you are holy, Lord, uh, Lord God of heaven, and, and in your Son, Jesus Christ, we've seen the fullness of your love. For he came with peace in his heart and was met with violence and death. He came with mercy in his voice and was mocked as one despised. But the one who suffered now lives. The one who died for us has been raised to rule over all creation, the Lamb upon the throne. The one who ascended on high is with us always, as he promised. And we pray, O oh God, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. So the bread we break and the cup we bless would be for us the communion of the body and blood of Christ. We pray that you would unite us with our Savior and strengthen us thereby. Amen. And let us pray as Christ taught us to in one voice saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated.